You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and Gach is always best served live. And I'm Ari, and Omicron, Omicron, Alpha, Yellow, Daystar 2-7. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes Unnatural Selection and A Matter of Honor. So I understand you just finished uh, watching Book of Boba Fett. I sure did. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of people are watching it, like my normal Star Wars friends aren't talking about it because I think they think it's like this separate thing that doesn't like apply to Star Wars. I think it's probably just because you you finished it a couple weeks later than everyone else. Oh, really? Because nobody on my friends list or anything in my social was talking about it. Because hmm. I saw Twitter talking about it a bunch and, uh, you know, I've been in- engaging in it. Huh. Um, how, how'd you like it? Well, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I and people have heard me say this. So, you know, I'm going to make some people mad, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I don't understand why people stand Boba Fett. Right. I've never really understood it. He's just some dude that stands there in some armor and doesn't say anything. It gets eaten by a giant pit monster. Like, I've never... He's not interesting to me. He had five lines in the original trilogy. I think he had more lines in, like, a single episode of The Clone Wars as, like, a, a little kid. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what it feels like. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I never really... I mean, it was one of those things that I would look at Star Wars nerds and be like, okay, uh, I don't understand the love for this character. So I'm going to be the first to admit I did not rush to watch Boba Fett as soon as it came out. I'm also not really into like warring family type stuff. Like it's the one part of Batman I don't really care about. Like what family is doing what and who's paying who to be whose goon is not interesting to me. And so I wasn't really interested in that aspect either. You know what I was sold on? Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand is the only reason I tuned into the show. And boy, am I glad I tuned into the show. It's so good. Well, that was my uh, argument going into it. I was like, I don't care about Boba Fett. I'm probably not going to care about Boba Fett after having watched the show. Yeah, I don't care about Boba Fett. Um, Nope. Maybe a little bit more. You don't need to care about Boba Fett. And I, I actually wondered if the if the fanboys were going to be mad about that because they were expecting it to be a show about Boba Fett. And it's really not actually about Boba Fett. Halfway through this series, it just becomes the Mandalorian season 2.5. It really does. Yes. All of a sudden, you're just in the Mando show, like without really any warning. You're just like... like there's a two episode stretch where Boba has like one line of dialogue in the book it. of Boba Fett. Yeah. yeah, it's real weird. And then it continues past one episode. I thought it was going to be a one episode off thing, but I think it's the I think there's eight episodes. Am I right? I think seven. so. Seven. So five and six were these really good Mando episodes, essentially. And then seven is I literally was screaming at my TV and I turned <laughs> to my husband with like joyful tears in my eyes and said, this is peak Star Wars. <laughs> It was because um, it is. It is peak Star Wars. It was so. Good. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was some good. Uh, good schlock. And uh, Robert Rodriguez directed that one. So he, he's. Uh, he's definitely uh, got his uh, action chops through the years. Why do I did, know that name? Uh, he did the um, the El Mariachi trilogy. So um, with uh, Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Oh, he, he also yeah, did the okay. Spy Kids movies, and uh, he's worked with um, right the Spy Kids. Uh, Quentin Tarantino a lot. I think uh, he directed Sin City. 
So, yeah, he's done a lot of things. Oh, he did Sin City migraine in a movie for me. I saw that (laughs) in the theater and it just something about the black and white and and the way it was stylized. Every time I watch it, I get a migraine. Um, That's not for everyone. (laughs) I don't think so. Also, I was I had a crush on Elijah Wood growing up. I almost said Elijah Clark because I also had a crush on (laughs) Elijah Clark. He was a kid from youth group. Anyway, Uh (laughs) I had a crush on Elijah Wood growing up and um, I did not. After that movie ended. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that'll that'll uh, destroy it pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> but he did a really good job with that. He episode was so creepy because, in that movie. Yeah. 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 That's what I meant. In the movie. I said that episode, but he, he yeah. did a really good job of that movie being creepy. And then it opened us up to other things like Wilford was really Wilfred. Wilfred was really weird and really good. Anyway, we're on a tangent, but <laughs> tangent on a tangent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just. I got to say, like, as a Star Wars fan, I don't think I have been that excited watching Star Wars related media since (laughs) here I go. I'm going to make more people even more angry. Um, The Last (laughs) Jedi. (laughs) I haven't been that excited about Star Wars since The Last Jedi. That's well, I I will say I I sat next to you when we saw Rise of Skywalker together. And uh, I I know that, you know, there's there's the initial theater high. Uh, yeah, like I, I, I was like enjoying it in the moment, but afterwards I thought about it like, man, that movie sucked. So I think I turned to you when it was over and I think I said, was that a good movie? I think that's the words <laughs> that came out of my mouth. Yes, I cried the whole time, but I turned I think I turned to you and said, was that a good movie or something like that? And we both kind of looked at each other like, uh, I'm not sure because you know, I enjoyed I mean, it at the moment, uh, but at the yeah, moment I also enjoyed it. Anyway, but then I thought I am really it. looking forward to Kenobi because that's coming out in a couple months here. And, I have uh, been looking forward to Kenobi for so long. I've been but, waiting for this show for like 10 years. Like I, I, I've always wanted to see him come back. I know they have been saying that Ewan was going to come back as Obi for so long now. It has been this rumor. And I think the rumor made it happen. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't think it was really going to happen if the rumor and us being so excited about it hadn't happened. I feel bad for Ewan McGregor because like he knew that it was going to happen for like two years before they could announce it. So he just had to lie and say, no, sorry, that nothing's happened. I haven't heard anything about it. I don't think it's going to happen. Can you imagine holding that? Him and Andrew Garfield should go on press tours together. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so I just want to talk a little bit about the prequels. I love the prequels. I know I'm one of those people and I don't I just I'm out to annoy the fanboys listening to our <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> but I love the prequels. I have always loved the prequels. For one thing, they were the first Star Wars I got to see in the theater. And I thought that well, and I also had a huge crush on Ewan McGregor. And so between those two things, I really loved them. But I loved the lore building. I loved the ships. I loved the planets. I loved seeing the the Republic. I loved seeing all of these things. And so for me, I was willing to forgive a lot of problems with the prequels for that, you know. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see Kenobi in the hands of some decent writers and some decent directors. I'm so excited. Also, I love me some Anakin Skywalker. I really, really love Anakin. And I'm really interested to see how this plays together. I mean, when I heard Hayden was coming back, I cried. I'm not even going to lie. I think Hayden Christensen is such a good Anakin Skywalker. He's such a whiny, annoying piece of crap. And that's what makes him (laughs) such a good Anakin Skywalker. (laughs) I, I think it'll be interesting to see him as full Vader in this one so i agree because all we get in the prequels is the no (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so today we're going to talk about Unnatural Selection, which is the seventh episode of the second season. It originally aired on the 30th of January, 1989. It was written by John Mason and Mike Gray and directed by Paul Lynch. So this episode starts off with Picard going, you know, it feels like the fans don't really like Pulaski. Is there something that I should do about it? <laughs> yeah because he's he like he he called doesn't he call in uh troy to his office and he's just like i don't know about pulaski she seems like she's an unpopular character should we give her an episode and troy's <laughs> like i like her you should you should give her a chance no what diana said and was so full of crap when she said it was i've never met a more dedicated physician okay that just made me so mad. It says in my notes, you've met Beverly. <laughs> like, um, and I was just like so mad. But then our good friend, Amanda, when I posted about this on Facebook, said that she always saw it as like a tongue in cheek, um, like insult towards Pulaski because she's never met a more dedicated physician. And in Beverly's case, not only is she a good physician, she has friends and family and a child and things like that. And so it's not just, she didn't just devote herself to being a physician. And I've decided mm -hmm. to accept that as headcanon <laughs> because <laughs> that way I don't have to be so mad at, about it either. Okay, so yes, the writers got together and were like, let's give her an episode. And the plot of that episode... We had a... Uh, we talked a couple episodes back about how you wanted a House MD Star Trek episode, and we kind of get that here. <laughs> and look, we got one, yeah. Yeah, so the uh, the Enterprise encounters uh, another, uh, another uh, Federation ship, the USS Lantry, but, like, the entire crew has died seemingly from old age. They're reverse Benjamin buttoning. They're reverse Benjamin buttoning, and, like, Riker even is like, the captain of the Lantry is my age, and Riker's like 30 so there's no way they should be dying of old age so they decide okay uh do not board this ship there's probably contagion we'll catch it so we'll put like a, a an emergency beacon on it and i'm thinking uh blow it up like don't <laughs> take the risk just just scuttle the ship <laughs> you don't want to yeah there's nobody on there what are you saving yeah <laughs> but so that they were like well they just came from this place that's doing like genetic research so we better check up on them and they go and it turns out all of them are also getting super old and everything so it's a uh it's up to pulaski to find out why is everyone aging so quickly it turns out that they are uh genetically engineering humans uh human children they call human them children yeah they call them children although they all seemed like they were late teens early 20s they didn't really look like kids to me uh but maybe that was part of the engineering maybe they aged quicker i think that was yeah i think that's what's the implication yeah um and uh they they have to do a whole thing where like they beam up one of the children encased in carbonite or <laughs> some kind of like plastic <laughs> sheen or something like that so that it does they they're not uh there's no chance of the kid possibly infecting them even though everyone on on the thing is like oh no 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 the children they can't they they can't carry the disease they're their immune systems are so strong that they're uh, immune to everything so then Pulaski steals a shuttle she doesn't steal one but they put her on a shuttle. <laughs> she, she comes up with the idea to go on a shuttle, which was a good idea because that was a good way to have a hermetically sealed environment. It's literally a different ship. With data, very smart, yeah. 
because he can't get infected. Although right. he did get infected by polywater intoxication, so he's not as immune as everyone thinks. Oh, I wonder if that was just a mistake, though. Uh, I think that was probably just a we want to have data have fun in that episode, too. Yeah. But anyway, uh, she removes him from the casing and starts studying him. But then she starts feeling like rapid onset uh, arthritis. So it's obvious that the kids are carriers, too. And now she's infected. Which means she can't go back to the Enterprise because she'll spread it to everyone else. But she can go down to the planet to investigate everyone else because she's already infected. Might as well. Mm -hmm. And I think they eventually just discover that it was like, it's the kids doing it. Uh, Their their, uh, immune system is so strong that it actually like leaves their body and finds things to attack. And like it mutated when it came into contact with some flu that a member of the, the Lantry ship had. Mm-hmm. And like that mutated and turned into a a disease that attacks other humans and rapidly ages them. And that's what killed the Lantry crew. And that's what's killing everyone uh, at this base. And then they save her by what was the word? Trace, trace something. Transporter um, trace. They were able to get the transporter trace. No. And then they found out she doesn't like transporters. And this was a new character development. I did not know about Pulaski, but she doesn't use transporters. Remember, apparently. she's basically a gender swapped McCoy. McCoy doesn't. That like was my beings. question. I was going to say, is it, is it really that they were just that lazy? Because I thought McCoy didn't like the transporter eater either. Yeah, they, they were pretty lazy. They were like, let's get McCoy. McCoy is a fun character. Everyone likes McCoy. He was crotchety. We'll just we'll have McCoy again. But you know, McCoy when he existed wasn't replacing Dr. Crusher. So, you know, I think I don't think people were as like, you know, right. <laughs> critical of his character. They have the idea of, well, if we've got a transport pattern of her from before she was infected, we might be able to beam her up and like uh swap out the DNA in the transport to cure her of the uh, uh, of the infection, which I thought was so clever. It is clever. I, I, it might be the first time they've used the transporter to cure someone in Star Trek. It's not the last time uh, for mm-hmm. sure. But it also like we, we've had our conversations about what are the limits of the transporter and, uh, you know, what can it do? What can't it do? Uh, is there really like does it kill you or does it not? Uh do you really need yourself to be beamed back? If they've got your pattern, you could l- make a duplicate, maybe all, all sorts of fun stuff. But Pulaski has avoided using the transporter the entire time. So the Enterprise doesn't have her pattern on file. And Picard calls her old ship and they're like, no, she doesn't have we, don't, we deleted her pattern when she left, but she almost never used the transporter here either. We forgot about the cloud between now and then. It's OK. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but they're like, well, if we can just find a sample of her DNA from before she was infected. And so they go into her quarters and they find a, 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 a hair follicle on a, on a hairbrush and they're able to do that. And they beam her back up and reconstitute it. And O'Brien, who gets his name in this episode, it's the first time. they Not say only Chief does O'Brien. he get his name, he's the dang savior. <laughs> like he did. <laughs> He he delivers like a whole bunch of techno babble. Like, did you notice mm-hmm. how much? And like, Data was so impressed with his techno babble, he was like, going to start engaging him in conversation. And Picard's like, Data, that's enough. <laughs> Shut up. I'm we're not, looking we're for not, my notes, but I'm pretty sure my having notes, a moment. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my notes <laughs> say not only is O'Brien contributing, he's or here he's contributing, and he's with got good ideas. <laughs> and um, but it's actually it's funny because. 
when they're getting ready to do it, because like this is like a, you know, this is either it's going to cure her or we're going to have to scatter her atoms to the cosmos and she dies. And so Mm -hmm. Picard's like, well, you better let me do it then, O'Brien. And I'm like, Picard, when was the last time you operated a transporter? He's the chief. He's the transporter chief. He's chief of operations there. Let him do his job. He knows what he's doing. He came up with a thing. And <laughs> actually, I think it probably was just hitting the button to say transport. And because O'Brien is still there, like monitoring all the other stuff. I think he's just like, fine, I'll line everything up. I've got the, the sighting on the gun correct. And you just have to pull the trigger. Right. But yeah, I was just like, no, Picard. What, what, what do you mean? Let him do his job. He's been doing his job. He's like, he's the savior of the episode. Let him do it. <laughs> I know. Give him a minute. Not only is he here, he's saving everybody. I know. I So I didn't hate this episode as much as you think I might have because it was a Pulaski centric episode. I was. Yeah, I was. I was wondering how you were going to feel about it because, well, it's a Pulaski episode, but it's also House MD episode and you wanted one of those. So I we did. Got that. And I felt like it humanized Pulaski a lot um because uh-huh. she offered to go onto the shuttlecraft with her and data and yeah. so i i was like okay so she is so intent on finding out the answer to this or whatever that she's willing to put her life on the line that's a very beverly crusher thing to do so uh-huh. i was like okay maybe i and then she also was some expert that wrote a book and we've never even heard about this book. We only heard about it because somebody recognized her name and was like, oh, are you Kate Pulaski or whatever? Well, it's and, probably something that she did for her doctorate. Right, right. And so I don't know. I thought, well, we got way more humanization out of Pulaski this mm-hmm. time. And not only after, I mean, it's a huge character development from not even being able to say his name right and being so like mean to Data when she first arrived to choosing to take him. And I mean, obviously there was a reason she chose to take him because he probably couldn't get sick, but it well also felt like we were actually seeing some actual character development. But mm-hmm. then again, she had some really stupid lines and some choices that I did not agree with. How did you feel about the uh, old age makeup? Cause we've had another episode. We, we had too short a season in season one where yeah. there was the uh, the guy who was reverse Benjamin buttoning. So they started out with really crappy old man makeup. And then he turned out like, I think the actor was in his 20s. Um, yeah. Well, he wasn't uh, reverse Benjamin buttoning. He was just Benjamin buttoning, right? Because oh, he right, was going right, right, backwards. Right. Yeah. Look, I haven't seen it. So <laughs> anyway. I, I, have I? I think I saw it once when it came out. Yeah. Um. Or how do you think they did? Uh, how good of a job do you think they did with, with Pulaski? I did not like it. You like. Didn't? I don't know. I felt like it was just taking the parts of her face that were already old and uh-huh. accentuating them. But I don't know. That's actually interesting because that's kind of what they did. Um, and I was reading up about the uh, the makeup that they did for this. And they said mm-hmm. they weren't satisfied with what they had done with old makeup in too short a season. Um, nobody was that looked awful. It looked so bad. I mean, it was better than too short a season. That's for but sure. But they said they said the fact that um that that uh Diana Moldar was um you know a, a more mature woman I think she was in her 40s and, uh, when she was uh in TNG uh, mm-hmm. so she already had some signs of aging that they were able to use as anchor points to like okay here's here's how you're going to look when you're like 80 or whatnot well and with Benjamin Button what was his name I can't remember but in too short a season 
Oh, no, no, the other guy. <laughs> the other guy, yeah. The Not too short a season guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he's, see, we start with the bad makeup with him, and it's right. obviously bad makeup. So it's uh-huh. kind of like, what's going on with this person? And, you know, to be honest, I was writing notes and looked up, and I was like, oh, I see she's aging. <laughs> you know? And I, I think it with threw me hair. off guard. Yeah, like, the gray, the hair they, got gray, right? They might have given her a couple wrinkles, but at first it was just okay. Let's just put her in a wig that's got some gray hairs in it, or or something. Or yeah, my biggest problem with this episode was that it was about growing old faster, and one of the oldest members of the crew went to go take care of it. It should have <laughs> been a Wesley episode because he would have had more time to grow old like even if it was a matter matter of a couple of hours he would have had more time if if they sent wesley down do you think they would have got the guy that q turned wesley into in season one? Oh, that's right i forgot about him <laughs> yeah we, they could have just brought him back see see we need to be on the tng writers you know well unfortunately unfortunately the show's been over for about 30 years so i think we missed the boat on that one <laughs> well you know when time travel happens Hey, we can go back uh, well, in time. you know, you're you're not you're not too far off though because um, Mike McMahon, who is the executive producer for Star Trek Lower Decks, he got his start in Star Trek by writing the Star Trek: The Next Generation season eight Twitter account, in which he would write humorous um, uh, uh, plot synopses of a theoretical eighth season of TNG. Oh, interesting. And and I think like uh, and he published a bunch of those tweets into a book. And then I think he met with Alex Kurtzman uh, at like a party or something like that, where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the TNG season eight guy. And then he was just like, you know, if I were to get to make a, a Star Trek show, here's my idea for it. And like he was just there, like having conversation and then left the conversation going, oh, my God, I'm going to make a Star Trek show. So, you know, <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, you know, that's in the watch. We'll end up making our own Star Trek show. Of course, Mike McMahon, it's not like it's not like uh, Lower Decks was his first thing ever. He worked on Rick and Morty as well. So, uh, you know, he's, oh, did he? OK, yeah, he's he's got experience in, t- in TV, but specifically his in with Star Trek was um the the twitter account so back to unnatural selection did you notice how like they mention in just like one sentence that oh yeah they cured everyone who was on the base but like we never see any of them restored to to like a younger state and like if you because they were just old people yeah if you turned away (laughs) for five seconds you would have missed that and you're like well uh uh, screw everyone on the planet then i guess pulaski's the only one who gets to be okay and those kids are just gonna live like isolated and alone with all the adults dead (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) <laughs> and, and I think um, there had been they had planned to have a younger version of the the old lady who was the, uh, you know, the the lead scientist there. I think they were going to have like a young actress like play her as a cured version. And but like they just they cut it for time or they just never f- filmed the scene. But it feels like by losing that, I you're can like, imagine exactly what she'd look like. <laughs> It's like it it, it, it it really like I actually completely forgot that they cured them. Like uh, only when I went back and was reading it on Memory Alpha did I realize, oh, wait, no, they I guess they did say that they cured everyone else. But I totally missed it. I'm sure a lot of people missed it. So it just feels like the solution to the episode was Dr. Pulaski cures herself after she gets infected, which isn't a satisfying yeah, a story. <laughs> Um, no, like if, if the, do- the doctor is like trying to cure everyone and then only ends up curing themselves. 
and everyone else dies. Like, okay, that you're kind of a shit doctor, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like you, you, they should have had that payoff. You should have been able to, like, okay, we're cured, and while we're down here, we'll keep the kids isolated from us until we find a way to permanently fix this issue with their immune system. And, you know, then that, that would be just... You know, like 20 seconds. You could do that in a 20 seconds. Yeah, because once you when you started saying this, I was like, wait, did I even track that they had cured those people? I don't think I had because, yeah, you started saying and I was like, oh, yeah, the people on the planet also had it. I forgot about that. (laughs) Oh, so you want to this episode included one of the stupidest lines ever written for data so far. Okay. And that is when he is watching Pulaski excitedly talk to the boy when they take him out of the plastic wrap. Uh And she's like, yes, yes, I understand you. And Data says, how can you understand him? And that is the dumbest Data line of all time because he knows Deanna Troy. Like, what in the hell is that line? This is Star Trek. (laughs) Like, Vulcans are a founding member of the Federation, and they are a telepathic species. He should know about telepathy. He knows about telepathy. There's so many telepathic races. He's probably incapable of being read by uh, telepaths or communicating telepathically with other He met Deanna's mom. But, like, yeah, he knows. Yeah. It was such a stupid line. I was like, <laughs> what the hell? He's smart. <laughs> he should know. Oh, you've got telepathic abilities. That's interesting. Right. And so I really thought that in the end, it was going to have to be Data that saved Pulaski because she's been uh-huh. such a dick to him this whole time. Well, that, would, that, would, that would be a good story beat. Yeah. If she, yeah, she but has it gave to grudgingly accept his, first, his. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it gave O'Brien his moment in the sun, and I'm all happy for that. So, <laughs> oh, I want to talk about the chess. Is that a Star Trek specific chess with the 3D chess? Yes, that yeah, is, yeah. The 3D chess set. Um, actually, we uh, we haven't seen it yet in Ten Forward, but they they'll they'll have one in Ten Forward that they play all the time. But yeah, no, in the original series, Spock and Kirk were playing 3D chess all the time. And Kirk usually beat Spock, which, you know, would always irk Spock because Spock is the logical one with the super brain. But Kirk was still able to beat him at chess, which is very silly, considering that now that we've got supercomputers that are unbeatable at chess, like, but they were playing it like, oh, chess is a not just a game of, you know, uh, the, the right move. It's a game of guile and, and but all this. Like, the but game, it's not. a game of right moves. Yeah. The only yeah. thing you're, you're not outwitting anybody when you do things in chess. There's no poker face. There's yeah. no like, oh, pretend you don't have a move set up or whatever. Unless you're doing that thing that you were taught in like third grade where you move the two pieces and checkmate the person and they're not aware of it. The Blitzkrieg or whatever they call it. (laughs) There is. I don't remember what season it is, but there is an episode where Deanna beats Data at chess and it was the stupidest thing ever. And it was just like, oh, well, you just you didn't feel the game. And I'm like, what the are you talking about Deanna? There's nothing about chess you feel. That is so (laughs) stupid. So are there rules to 3D chess? Can we make a 3D chess board and play it against each other? Um, I, I've looked at it. I, I'm sure there are like uh, uh, you can you can actually Some buy like official has made rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I, I think usually on the show when they're playing it, I think they really just like because if you look at it top down, it is just like an eight by eight grid, but eat, like different sections are just kind of offset. So I think I on the show, they just kind of play it like it's normal chess, except, you know, uh, they have to move pieces from different platforms when they're making moves. But I think there are official rules for 3D chess that do more than that. I just haven't bothered to look because uh, I don't know. I don't play chess that much. So I'd- yeah, I don't either. Yeah, but I saw and I was like, ooh, I wonder if there's rules. Um, the one last thing I want to say before we move to the next episode is this episode had some, not only had that line, but Pulaski had a really stupid line, which was he's so dedicated to the ship, he's not able to step back and see the human equation, which is the most unobservant thing. I was like, <laughs> if she's such a good doctor and so good at noticing things and so able to pick up on little nuances and stuff, why in the world would she not understand that John Luke is able to see the human equation? I, and even Deanna laughed at her when she uh-huh. said that. I was like, so I don't know. I felt like it was bad writing because if she's supposed to be this excellent doctor, she wouldn't make stupid observations like that. <laughs> well, she's new. <laughs> she is. She is new. But, you know, she's supposed to be good at her job. So next we're going to talk about A Matter of Honor, which is the eighth episode of the second season. It aired on the 6th of February, 1989. It was written by Burton Armis. The story is by Wanda M. Height, Gregory Amos, and Burton Armis, and was directed by Rob Bowman. So I have a feeling we're probably going to fight over this episode because you texted me before we started and you said that it was another uh, bad episode written by Armis. And uh, I love this episode. (laughs) Okay, so I loved the episode by the end. Okay. Um, There was I did when I texted you, I was only like halfway through the episode. Okay, Um, okay. And so by the end, I was like smiling and enjoying it. And like, I, you know, I I really did enjoy the episode toward the end, but I did not like the way it was set up at all. Okay. So um, let's talk. Yeah. The um, the Enterprise gets uh, some some uh, crew transfer and there's uh, one guy who is um, there's uh, there's a Benzite who joins the crew as part of the officer exchange program. And uh, he's the actually it's the same actor who was um, in the episode where Wesley applied for the Academy. And Wesley actually sees him and is like, oh, hey, aren't you Mordok? And he's like, well, no, 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 I'm not Mordok. Uh, I'm Menden. But it is, in fact, the same actor. I think they brought him back because. Okay, And was it the same suit, like the same face and everything? Yeah. Yeah, I I assume that's why they brought him back, because they already had his face molded and they had the makeup designed around his head. So they're like, well, we'll just bring him back and then we'll make a mention of like, oh, we're from the same geostructure. So that's why we look alike. But then he acted so sketchy the whole time. I thought he was there was going to be something with that. They need to stop setting these things up for me because then I spend the whole time like, oh, okay, he's going to be this or that or whatever. It sounds Um, like you missed the point. Was racism? (laughs) <laughs> because yeah, there's, it sounds like yeah. you missed the point the, the point I, is i didn't miss the point but um the yeah. point was you mistook me for my brother we look alike and then wesley makes some sort of comment about oh how do you tell each other apart there was little subtle references like that mm-hmm. throughout like but also the, the fact episode. that you're saying that he's sketchy he's not sketchy he's from a different culture and no we're gonna he, talk about that you want to talk about it now okay we can talk about it now yeah. If he he went to Starfleet Academy mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to act on a Starfleet ship. Bullshit. Like, I was like, what in what is going on here? Because even Wesley says you couldn't have finished Starfleet Academy this quickly. And he says, oh, I'm not Mordok. I'm Men- Menden. I think that was his name. Menden. So 
I, I don't actually think he went to Starfleet Academy because uh, Wesley was thinking of Mordok, who did apply for Starfleet Academy. But Menden is a member of the Officer Exchange Program, so he. But he's wearing a Starfleet uniform with a with a thing. Yeah, he is. He is. I assume that's just they they gave him that uniform because he was joining the thing. It's a little weird that they, uh, as we're going to talk about, when Riker do- enters the program, why like, he doesn't get a Klingon officer uniform. But whatever. Um, mm-hmm. No. The the point is that he is not. But you can see as why this familiar. was confusing to me the whole time. I'm like, uh, he if he went to Starfleet Academy, how does he not know how to act on the dang Enterprise? No, he did not. And if he doesn't, if they didn't give him any sort of orientation, why would they just let him have access wait, wait, to but the? They did to give him ship. one. They did give him because they said he he had to go through an indoctrination course. They they, they specifically said the word indoctrination, which is yeah, like that's indoctrination. A weird... I know. It's a weird word. <laughs> they they even mentioned, I guess our uh, indoctrination course uh, needs to be uh, buffed up a little if you uh, mis- uh, misunderstood how things operate on the ship. But Well, they did a terrible job of explaining this exchange system uh-huh. because the whole time I was wondering how long is Riker gone for? Is he gone for years? Like, how long is this program? And I also, I mean, especially because some of the people stepped off the platform and were like, all right, you're here as replacements. And they just left. And then the Benzite guy, they're like, all right, you're part of the the exchange program. And then Wesley even mentioned Starfleet Academy. So it just to me, it felt like it was a bunch of Starfleet people. I assume most of them were Starfleet. I think uh, Menden was probably the only member of the officer exchange program that was joining the ship. Okay, it was weird. It was a weird setup because I had a hard time understanding. Because Menden comes on and like Riker and Picard are talking about the officer exchange program. Picard has the idea. He's like, we're we're set to rendezvous with a uh, with with a Klingon ship soon. And uh, he doesn't just have this idea sitting around in his room, though. He has this idea while they're playing laser tag in there or whatever you want to call it in the in the holodeck yeah that's well no it wasn't the holodeck it was the phaser range oh i didn't realize i thought it was a holodeck okay it would have made more sense to be a holodeck because they're in this big massive empty void where i'm like where do they have room for this on the ship (laughs) yeah that's why i assumed it was the hollow in star trek discovery this isn't really a spoiler it's just a weird special effect thing but like every time we see like the turbo lift on discovery where like we would see exterior shots of the turbo lift as it's moving through the ship but it's weird because like looking outside of the turbo lift it's like there's this massive void where the turbo lift is moving through and i'm like where in the ship do you have room for this <laughs> massive void that the ships that the, the, the turbo lift's moving through shouldn't it just be a tunnel it, it the turbo lift itself was just like flying around and everything so that it could just move from like you know terminal to terminal without having to be like on rails or something but i'm like where's the room on the ship for that <laughs> anyway <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I saw the phaser range. It would make far more sense if they were just using the holodeck with like holographic phasers that, you know, have accurate. That's like, what uh, I thought they were doing. I thought they were yeah. just like, let's go have some phaser phaser shooting in the holodeck. Oh, and while we're mm-hmm. here, I'm going to make some tongue in cheek jokes about how you should join the Klingons. But yeah. is this a good time to ask why in the heck they didn't send Worf? Well, because Worf already knows Klingon culture. The whole point of the officer exchange No, but he's never gotten to experience it. He knows it, but he's never gotten to experience it. It felt like they were taking that away from him. Like, he could have gone and experienced it. Picard specifically talks about uh, how there's uh, a little that they know about the Klingons, and it would be good for their their officers to spend time on Klingon ships to have a better cultural understanding. And Worf has 
Worf may not may be an outsider to the Klingons, but he spent his entire life engrossed in 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 studying Klingon culture. Felt kind of bad for him. Well, he probably wanted to go too. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, I think that was pretty obvious. There was a couple little side remarks that I thought, oh, his feelings are hurt. Yeah. Um, actually, I love the the preparation uh, that that Riker uh, gets into for you know preparing to go serve on this uh, on this Klingon ship. And, you know, uh, Worf explains to him that it's the duty of the first officer to assassinate the captain when they are, you know, um, weak or feeble or, or incapable of making decisions. And it's also yeah, the is job. That of the, is, it, is it incapable of making decisions? There was a specific like word that he used that made it very clear. I'm looking to see if I wrote it down. Um, that I thought was interesting that it was like Im- impaired to do their duties or something like that that i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. um so you know Riker's like uh huh, hope i don't have to kill anyone but okay and <laughs> um and then Riker also because he knows he's going to serve on a klingon ship he's like well i better sample the cuisine so i know what's uh what's good and so he's just in 10 forward and he just has this massive feast of klingon dishes that are brought to his table and everyone is like looking at them and gagging and i'm just like i i don't know most of this looks good to me it looks a little it weird it didn't look terrible yeah i know pulaski of course was there to be a jerk about it <laughs> and when i looked up what they used for for most of the food like they got most <laughs> most of the food was just like like they would use food coloring to change it up but the vast majority of what they used, they just got it in an Asian food market. And so, like, that's kind of unintentionally racist to be like, oh, gross. It Look is, at what the yeah. Asians are eating. But I thought that was another one of those. And I, I'm assuming it was on purpose, but it was another one of those subtle nods to what it's like to be a different culture and how people mm-hmm. talk about your food. Like, I mean, that's what clearly... Menden yeah. was supposed to be, except for that they set him up to be kind of sketchy for me. But it was supposed to be like, well, when you go somewhere and you're trying to follow your own rules, he reminded me Menden in particular, and this comes back to Riker, but Menden in particular reminded me of that that person that starts at your work and they think they know everything because they've uh-huh. worked in similar jobs oh, before he was and they're so like obnoxious. Yeah, I've known been around person. your office like change everything and you're like, dude, it works this way because we set it up this way. You know, it reminded me of that guy, uh-huh. um, like Nathaniel and Crazy Ex Girlfriend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, he bought the kid. He bought the company, but I was I was singing "Who's the New Guy" in the back of my head the whole time. But I really like. By by the end of it, I was really like I had a lot of compassion for Menden. Once yeah. I realized he wasn't being sketchy, he was being a Benzite, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then Riker's kind of doing that same thing too. He's trying to embrace the culture while all the white people gather around and talk about how weird the food looks, you know. I kind of wish that Worf was joining him in Ten Forward and enjoying all the food. He's like, oh man, I haven't had the. The, the replicator never makes this right. I'm glad they made it in the kitchen out back or something like that. This is great. Or or even or Worf could have been like, oh no no no, this gawk is no good. It's 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 dead. You got to have live gawk, right. otherwise you're gonna miss the experiments. Because Riker didn't know until he goes onto the ship that gawk is supposed to be eaten live. Right. And let's talk about some of that character development because remember uh-huh. when he had to pretend to be infected with the little alien dudes, he refused to eat the mealworms. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was. When he broke character and started shooting everybody because he didn't want to put the meal mealworms in his mouth. Right. And so he he had serious character development when he gets to the Klingon ship and he's eating all this food that he's feasted on. 
then he they're like well they they bring in the gawk and it's all like live worms instead of like the worm uh-huh. the dead worms he had been eating and he looks at it and i'm like oh no is Ryder Riker gonna eat those <laughs> he didn't eat the mealworms before and he did it you know what i loved was um Oh, what's the name of the the second officer? The guy who he kicks the ass of like five minutes into joining the ship because the guy's just starts my notes say Riker's going to fight the number two. Yeah, like <laughs> I, you can tell it's broadcast so much because he like just immediately challenges Riker's authorities. Like you're not Klingon, you don't know what it's like to be here. You're just a weak human. Why should I listen to you? And Riker and then just, he warped him. Riker, <laughs> Riker throws his face like through a computer console, and I'm just like, that dude should be dead. Like, you, that, you should have broken his neck doing that. <laughs> uh, but I remember the first time I saw that episode, I was just cheering, like, yeah, kick his ass, get him. <laughs> <laughs> How about the fact that they're all sitting around gathering or eating their food, and there's a lady Klingon, and and he's like, I, my notes are like, oh, Riker is eyeing the first woman Klingon he found, and then she's eyeing him too. <laughs> there's two women, both giving oh, him there? googly eyes. That's right. There was a second one, but that first one really, and then then he makes a joke that he could take both of them or something, yeah. and then they're like, and then. I was like, oh, the Klingons aren't down with threesome. <laughs> but like, no, she's just she's like, uh, she, she's wondering if you could handle her. It's like, and Riker goes, one or both? And then she's just like, uh, she, she like smiles and she's like, I will have you. And then she gets up and walks. And then he just like, Riker just whispers to his like, he's like, she's serious? He's like, and he's like, yes. And Riker's just like, oh shit. And it's like the first time I've seen Riker go, I don't want to have sex this time. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I bet he did. Uh, he might I mean, not have. I've at least been curious, you know? I, I, um, if I were Riker, I'd be like, look, it's the experience. When when in Rome, you have sex with the Klingon. <laughs> right, that's what I thought. Yeah, and I had actually thought about that before he went up there. I was like, I wonder how Riker's going to be around Lady Klingons if they are on that ship, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so the the moment when uh, I don't know what the number two's name was, but when he turns to Riker and he's like, "Are you a typical Fred- Federation officer?" It had serious like I'm above average Steve Trevor lines from when <laughs> Diana sees Steve Trevor's junk for the first time, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's funny." <laughs> it was a Clag was his name. Clag, yes, yeah. that was his and- name. Did you recognize that actor? He's been in a bunch of things. No. He was one of the punks that the Terminator killed in the first Terminator movie. To, to get and his not clothes. Bill Paxton. Yeah. Not Bill Paxton, but it was one of the other guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's got a very recognizable mouth. Like, Oh, well, I'll have to pay. I could go back and look. Um, yeah. But that's interesting. No, I did not recognize him. Um, I did think that in the end, when it ends up being Riker that defeats the captain of the ship, um, I did think it was going to be him. Uh-huh. Because of, you know, the number two or the number one, yeah, number one takes over off, takes out the captain or whatever. And I thought, oh, it's going to be set up that he's because he had because he because he Riker had his respect by the end of the episode because he did kick his ass and he had been re- respectful about the food. And, oh, they they loved that he had a sense of humor, which I thought was funny because, yes, I was like so excited about that whole scene, like when they're like, ha. Ha ha, threesomes, you know, and, like, but they were laughing, you know, and and, and they also they're like, well, you know, I didn't think Federations had a sense of humor and Rikers is like, I didn't think Klingons had a sense of humor because the only Klingon Rikers ever served with was his wharf, who's like never laughed a day in his life. I was trying <laughs> when they said that I was trying to remember if he's even ever cracked a smile that I've seen. 
No, not yet. I, Worf does smile at some points in the show, and it's always played up like as a funny thing, like, oh, God, don't smile. That's not you. Um, <laughs> so we kind of got off track with the plot. But at this point, this the Enterprise has suddenly realized that there is some sort of foreign tiny substance there's a microbe that's like yeah eating the, they first they discovered it on themselves there's a microbe eating away at the whole of the enterprise they're able to to clear it but then menden is like oh yes i noticed it it came from the klingon ship and they're like well why didn't you tell us about it and he's like i hadn't finished my report yet it would be improper and see, i to totally thought it. he was gonna say i tried to tell captain picard about some things and he told me to f off so i thought <laughs> i thought that was gonna be why <laughs> no it's, like he should have told Worf, and Worf would have brought it to the captain's attention he just didn't tell anyone because he hadn't finished his thing because he and- hadn't finished it which i thought was really like interesting because that's when you suddenly realize oh he's not being a, a jerk because he th- is better than everybody. He's being a jerk. It's like he's projecting confidence. He wants to be here and he's trying to look like he has a good, you know. And anytime anyone specifically says I requested to be put on the Enterprise, I assume they're there for nefarious purposes. So that might be <laughs> another reason that he came off sketchy to me. But keep in um, mind the Federate or the, the Enterprise is the flagship of the Federation. It is like the primo assignment in Starfleet. Mm, People okay. request to be on the Enterprise because it is one of the best job assignments you can get in Starfleet. So not everyone who wants to be on the, the Enterprise is doing so for nefarious purposes. Sometimes it's just because it's a very prestigious job to get. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so there, so I really liked this moment because I was because even at that moment, I was I did the oh, this is all cultural, you know, mm-hmm. like this is like this is the way that you know we assume everybody in America is going to do things the way that we do things in America, and then we don't understand when it's just not inherent to other people, you know. Um, and so I really liked that moment. And then they're like, well, we need to contact the Klingons and tell them because we need to help them. And they're like, okay, let's go find the Klingons. And at the and then it changes over to the Klingons. And the Klingons have also discovered the whole breach yeah. where the little things are eating through it. But they also can tell that Mr. Benzite had run the laser. He'd run a detailed scan on that specific section of the ship. And so they think that it's actually an attack by the Enterprise. They think the Enterprise put it on there rather than just right. doing a sensor sweep. And Riker's like trying to vouch for the Enterprise. And he's like, no, that's not how we how we operate. We would never do that. I don't know why they didn't alert you of it, but maybe they their results weren't conclusive or something like that. But, then, right. you know. Uh, they uh, the captain is like, you know, challenging Riker. He's just like, look, we're going into battle against the Enterprise. You're going to tell us all of its secrets. And Riker's like, I'm I'm not going to do that. And he's like, you are disobeying an order. He's like, no, I am not disobeying an order. If we go into battle, I will do my job and I will help you fight the Enterprise, but I will not give away uh, uh, Federation secrets. And the captain's like, good. I would have killed you if you had done that. I know. (laughs) Um, So do they not have email? Um, Well, no, they tried to hail them. Okay. But they can't hail Riker specifically. You would think so, but uh, no. He has a communicator, right? (laughs) Yeah, um, it, it the the show can be uh, inconsistent about the range of those communicators. Um, I think in some shows, like on Picard, like that communicator can go across, uh, go through subspace and across systems. But usually, like just the one that's just on your uh, on your shirt, that one is only like has a range of like orbit. Okay, 
so but yeah so they're trying to hail the ship but the ship is you know uh doing um it, it's cloaked to do, do doing uh maneuvers in some other section so they're like well we kind of know where they are but they're not responding to hails let's just head over to where we think they are and you know but then the klingons are like ah see they're coming they're following us and, and it's right. you know just a total misunderstanding riker's trying to clear it up but eventually uh riker realizes okay um the captain is going to attack the, the 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 Enterprise unless I do something about it. And uh, Worf had given him actually an emergency transponder mm-hmm. uh, just in case because Worf is just like, look, I know how Klingon ships can get. You're probably <laughs> going to get killed over there. You take this and if you hit it and then we'll come and rescue you. <laughs> but um, so he activates it, but he deliberately activates it in sight of the captain. And the captain's like, what's that? Give that to me. And it was then, a like, very smart moment. Yeah. And, and the Enterprise is like, oh, we've got the beacon activated for Riker. Lock on to him and beam him over. Beam him directly to, to the bridge. I want to know what's going on. But the, because it's the, the transponder, they beam over the captain. With the Klingon captain not on the ship, Riker is now in command of the ship. And, and it like, leads to some of my best, my favorite moments in all of TNG at this point. When he's <laughs> like, I'm captain william Riker, i was like oh my god i know (laughs) and then uh, i can't remember the exact line it's just like oh i here it is i wrote it down i order you to lower your shields and surrender i was like oh my god this is so good (laughs) and of course picard's like yeah yeah i'm gonna i know i Riker's up to something but like i trust him yeah of course i'm going to surrender to Riker. right and then he cannot say captain Riker without getting like a twinkle in his (laughs) eye either yeah i know he wants him to be captain one day so like yeah he's he's got he's got some proud for him and he knows Riker's doing a good job yeah but, I know uh, once the uh the Klingon captain has been you know taken out of the equation uh they're able to you know resolve everything it's like okay it was a misunderstanding we just didn't communicate properly here we are we figured out how to cure it so we're gonna go ahead and uh uh, repair patch up your hole for you then they go on their way and- yeah I thought it was a really interesting Riker episode I mm-hmm. thought that it was some great development on Riker's part. There was a lot of like tricksiness that I enjoyed, like like the thing with the beacon. Like he was like, what is that? And he knew the guy, the captain was going to ask for it. You know, he knew that he was going to ask him to hand it and he needed to get him off of the ship. So he became first in command. I was concerned that number two was going to like try to attack Riker at that point because he Uh was the captain and he was doing things in more of a human subversive way than Klingons would normally do it. Like having like tricking the captain off of the ship and stuff instead of like killing him like a, like a good Klingon, you know? I Um, think the fact that Riker had already kicked his ass and like had earned his respect. So I, I think he was probably a little more amenable to seeing Riker's way of doing things and trusting that Riker was not betraying the Klingons. Um, right the trust there was really good right i really loved that trust between the number two and riker even before the the whole episode building that so that like yeah you kind of need because it is his job to kill riker um if he suspects riker is you know uh unfit to command so they had to spend the whole episode building it up so that you you believe it when he doesn't kill riker in that moment Mm mm-hmm and I really thought it was good. I I liked it. I I mean, like like I said, I didn't. I had a hard time 
I had a hard time getting into it because I had all these questions about the Benzite and like why he was there, how long this uh, exchange program between the officers was going to last, like why there it's was going to last to the end of the episode. <laughs> and I was like, it has to be because this is going to be a one episode thing that gets wrapped up, you know, Um I how come all the people who came over, including the Benzite, were in blue, though? Are, isn't that medical? It's me- medical or science. Or science, so it can yeah. be science, too. Yeah. Okay. He may be a spy, but he is no coward, was a really good line. Um, Actually, I really liked a lot of the scenes in the mess hall, in the Klingon mess hall. Um, For starters, when Clagg was, like, seeing Riker's uh, reticence at eating live gawk, he's just like, oh, if this food isn't to your liking, perhaps we could have one of the females breastfeed you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and they had a big laugh about that, and I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, but also the the conversation about uh, uh, when Clag t- tells Riker, "Look around you. There are no old Klingon officers because they all die in battle." But then he talks about his father, how his, his father daddy had, issues. Yeah, <laughs> his father had been captured by Romulans and not permitted to uh, to die a glorious uh, um, death in in battle. And so now his father is just living on on the Klingon homeworld. Um, waiting to die an old man with no honor and he's like he's like I will not talk to him and Riker's like but he's your father and he's like nope it's the way it's uh, he, he has no honor I, I will not I will not speak to him and considering um, later this season we're going to see that Riker hasn't talked to his dad in some time either so it's a oh. little little funny for Riker to be like how can you not talk to your father I don't know Riker how can you not talk to your father yeah that is interesting Okay. So keep that in mind, because that's, I I think, coming up in, like, six or seven episodes. I thought it was interesting because, you know, it reminded me of how I'll go, like, when I used to date before I was married and stuff, like, I'd ask people about their lives and their families, what's your relationship with your parents like? Mm -hmm. And I've had people say, you know, people don't usually ask me these questions. And and it's always, to me, is baffling because I want to know about people. And for me, that's going to be, like, one of the number one ways, like, what's your parents like? Whether it, like, helps me give a little bit of, like, structure to who they are as a person so i thought it was interesting that that was where as a human he went when talking to klingons was well tell me about your family you Mm -hmm. know and then he said we have no what did he say there's a really good line i don't remember if i wrote it down but something like you have your ship you don't need a family or something like that and i thought oh that's so interesting i really liked the seeing the different dynamics because like klingon aggression is not something that i relate to right like i don't relate to wanting to kill people and only seeing honor in dying on the battlefield and stuff this is not something i relate to but i like seeing the perspective of someone else through you know a human's eyes and vice versa the humans through the klingon's eyes i think it's really interesting and i i love just the continual building up of uh, uh, Klingon culture throughout uh, the next generation um, and Deep Space Nine. There's um, th- there's a reason that Klingons are so popular in Star Trek fandom, and it's because the writers really put in the work to develop, to make them feel like a fully fleshed out culture. They eat um, their pets, though. that was one of those culture things though like for us we would never eat our pets like but as i'm a vegetarian and Mm -hmm. i've never really understood how why people differentiate between dog meat and cow meat i don't really 
understand the difference to me they're both animals Mm -hmm. but when they said heart of targ i was like wait isn't that their animal (laughs) well (laughs) keep in mind um i mean people keep pigs as pets sometimes right that's true and they still eat a a targ is a boar it's it's just an alien boar so uh i i assume there's targ that are raised as pets and there are targ that are raised as uh as livestock Mm -hmm. that makes sense too or even you could live on a farm and have you know a targ that you like yeah and then i wonder if there's a klingon version of charlotte's web (laughs) 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 with like a targ and some sort of alien spider I don't know. This is the fanfic I'm gonna go to end up writing. <laughs> there is a stuffed uh animal version of a targ called Toby the Targ. Um and I feel like uh, you mentioned this before. How do I get a Toby? Uh, you could probably find I'm sure somebody's made one on Etsy, but uh, Belana Torres had a Toby the Targ as a kid. And um Who is she? She's uh on uh Voyager, she's the half Klingon uh um engineer. Oh, and, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it would make sense that she'd have a Targ toy because she's half Klingon. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It's one of those things. But yeah, it, it, especially for Klingons, it would make sense. You probably actually, when your Targ dies, you would probably eat its heart to honor it, I would think. That oh, feels like that's a Klingon a good thing. Point, actually, yeah. To honor your pet especially that way. Especially if it, like, because I. I mean, they're they're boars, so I'm sure they they like you know uh, they go into battle with their Klingons because you know with tusks right. and everything. You can do a lot of boars can do a lot of damage. Um, mm-hmm. So so like if your if your Targ died in glorious combat by your side, of course you're going to eat its heart to you know honor its sacrifice and and honor its glorious uh, uh, death in battle and to gain its power. Maybe I mean that uh, there's a lot of cultures in which, you know, eating the heart of something is to gain its power. So that seems like something that might be in Klingon culture. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, I did. I, I will say I was kind of hoping that at some point we would get to see Riker do the yell, the the meeting death, you know, warning, warning the death that they're coming. Yell. Do you know what I mean? From the other. That would episode. be so that'd be so cool. Um, I know. Yeah. I no. I don't. Th- I'm trying to think if we've ever seen a non Klingon do the, the death howl and howl. Uh, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> because we see the death howl. um Later, I think we see it in Deep Space Nine. Um, uh, Worf does it, but I, I don't think we we see anyone not a Klingon do it. Mm. Okay, so I have a question for you um, that came up for me during the episode. Are all Klingons black? I'm having a hard time remembering if I've ever seen any non-black Klingons. So, no. Um, actually, most of the Klingons in this episode were white actors. But that's an interesting question, because uh, especially like in the original series, um, Mm -hmm. you know, before they had the bumpy foreheads, they all still were like their makeup was very swarthy and they just kind of had like a uh, like kind of a a Mideastern Indian look to them, Um, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is, you know, you look at it now and it's like, well, that's a bunch of white actors that were doing that. It's a little eh." right. Um, but you know uh here they they still have they still give them you know darker skin for the most part so i can understand why you would think they're black and yeah, michael dorn is i thought black. they were black actors yeah and then i guess probably cuz of wharf in my mind i was like oh okay so are all klingons black people i wasn't sure that's actually i think i probably had that thought myself as a kid um but no m- most of the klingon actors that you see are are white 
white actors. Um, but they always kind of have some sort of tone to their skin, right? Yeah. And um, actually, so is it I think blackface? that that's kind of yeah. Um, it, it is an interesting question. And actually, I've seen stuff where like some of the uh, the Klingon actors from Deep Space Nine they would like when they do when they go into makeup for like conventions and stuff that mm-hmm. more recently they've like stopped darkening their skin for it they just use their natural skin tone but uh, with the, with the klingon makeup uh and having the you know the bumps and everything still match their skin tone instead of darkening it right. to go with it um it, so i i think there's yeah there's there's probably some unfortunate implications with the makeup and especially with the original series makeup just look at it and you're like yeah, that's a little racist. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I almost wonder if that's why in a Star Trek Discovery, when they did the Klingon redesign, if they gave the they gave them like non-human skin tones. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like the the redesign in, in Discovery. There's parts of it that I think are are, are good, but uh, in particular, they got rid of the hair, which makes no sense to me. Klingon hair is a very important part of their. What culture, do you mean, got rid of the hair? Like they just don't have hair? They don't have hair. Um, at least in the first season. In the second season, they gave him the hair back because they realized that was a big mistake. Because they were like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but their skin tones, they they had far more, like, it almost feels like they lost the color from it. And they're all just shades of, like, like shades of gray um, hmm. that looked pretty flat that I didn't really like. But at least it wasn't like, okay, well, you've got a human skin tone, but you're only black. Right. Uh, so, you know. It's well, it's interesting because blackface is usually intentional, right? Yes. Like you're intentionally trying to mimic a black person and usually for laughs. And that's why it's so problematic, right? Is because you're using people of color as a punchline. Well, but I don't know that that was necessarily the intention here. Um, but I'm curious. I, I'd be curious to know. There's a lot of like Mongolian influence in Klingon design. Um, and it's like, it, again, going back to the original series, if you look at how they are presented in the original series, they kind of look like white actors who are painted to look Mongolian. That uh, makes so, sense. Kind of like um, Genghis Khan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I was just thought it was interesting and, and to bring it up. But I mean, I think having these conversations, it's interesting that they redesign them. I mean, everybody's always evolving. Star Trek is about diversity and including everyone. So it's mm-hmm. I think it's important to have these conversations. And I think it's important to potentially look back and say, oh, that was problematic. I mean, we talked about that in the last episode with the title, The Schizoid Man, right? Like, we don't use yeah. that term anymore, you know? And it wasn't even an accurate title because, like, what what... Uh, um, the the best description for what it was was like DID, um, right? Not which, schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. But anyway, um, actually, have been thinking about doing a YouTube video all about the different uh, Klingon designs throughout the 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 history of Star Trek. Oh yeah, that would be really interesting. Because even though there have been like three major periods of Klingon design, even. Within that, there have been changes here and there, and it would be interesting to look at the influences, what worked, what didn't. Um, so I, I, it's been one of the video ideas I've had in the back of my mind that I think. Yeah, that's a cool do. idea. I like it. I mean, the Klingons, like you said, there there's so much culture and they span all of the series. Right. So yeah. it's it's you get the, they are one of the most prominent non-human races in the entire show, which makes these Klingon episodes so interesting. And, you know, like I really thought by the end of it, I mean, Riker really got to save the day and he did it smart and he did it in a way that nobody died. And I really like 
liked the episode by the end. Well, I'm glad because I was worried when you said you didn't like it. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I thought it was a really weird setup. That first half of the episode, I, I did not know what was going on. But by the end, uh-huh. I was I was in. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks. So I think that's it. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gay Fesh. And until next time. Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash worlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.